from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Jennifer Kerfman, I'm an actor. Jersey Gwizdowski, I'm an actor. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and a director. Today, we're talking about the topic of cold reading, uh, by which we mean uh, circumstances under which an actor is either handed a script and asked to uh, read it immediately, or in some cases is handed a script uh, and given a few minutes to look it over before being asked uh, to read it. And this is done in a number of different circumstances. It's uh, done in audition settings and callback settings sometimes. Uh, it certainly is something that's done uh, in the setting of new play development. Uh, and sometimes, if you're working on a new play, it can be something that happens in rehearsal if a playwright arrives with new pages that you haven't seen before rehearsal. So today we're going to talk about uh, what makes an effective cold reading, uh, the goals an actor uh, might have for their reading uh, in each of those circumstances, and also uh, how to develop the skills of an, doing an effective cold reading. So uh, to start off, let's talk a bit about uh, what your goals are as an actor in each one of those settings. Uh, when you are handed a script and asked to do it or asked to take a few minutes to look it over and then do it in an audition setting, what is it that you are looking to achieve in that cold read? The first thing I have to remind myself to do is to relax. That, that's the, <clears throat> just relax and bring, don't try to guess what somebody wants from this because you can't possibly know. Well, you should never do that, but you can't, in this specific setting, you can't possibly know. You just need to take, I just focus on taking in the language and speaking to the person across from me as, more, as relaxed as I can. That's the first thing I try to do. I'd say that in the same way an audition is a truncation of a rehearsal process on a show that, you know, in a shortened uh, period of time you're asked to do to the extent that you can work on uh, a scene or some sides or a monologue to get pages in an audition setting that you only have a few minutes to go over before you go back into the room is really uh, an exercise in getting better at the audition process because essentially what you're asked to do if you have a week or two to prepare, you don't have the opportunity to do all of your text work and your character analysis and have a rehearsal process. You're going into an audition, which we talk about all the time at, at Cry Havoc. You know, you're, you're going in making strong choices that reflect the type of work that you're interested in doing. You've begun the work that you would like to do on the play by making strong choices and committing to them. Uh, and a cold reading situation is really, especially in an audition setting, is an exercise in doing that uh, at an accelerated pace. It's almost like a, a little mini challenge you can give yourself to find something that you think works and, and commit to it. And I think that there really is something to the idea that we've talked about in earlier episodes and other, uh, about other topics is that the idea of an audition is to get a callback. And the idea of a callback is to get either another callback or more time at that callback. And that there really is a real way in which a cold reading uh, and a monologue you're working on, but especially a cold reading if it's from the play uh, that you're auditioning for, uh, or the film that you're auditioning for is an invitation for them to work with you more. You know, is an op is giving them something for them to work with that they want to engage rather necessarily than a perfectly polished reading on the scene. Uh, because really what you want is you want the opportunity to get direction from the director and show them that you can take direction. And, you know, you really want to take the opportunity to show yourself, show them the way that the role wears on you, to show them that you can work and to show them that you can make strong choices. And if you can show them those things, that is going to make them want to work with you more, frankly, much more than if you show up and you just do it quote-unquote right, or what you imagine 
they want it to be right. In a setting where, and where a director is handing you sides, the reason, it is very rare that a director will hand you sides where they are not in a mindset that they are looking for people to work with. And I would say that as soon as I get the side, because you never know how much time you'll get to prepare outside the room before you're asked to come back in, what I do first is I read through it once. So I know at least I've gotten to the end of the side so I know where it's going as an actor. And then I go back and, like Jersey said, make a strong choice and kind of, you know, look over it a couple of times, you know, however many times I can before they, they bring me back into the room. But the first thing I like to do is just to go through it not putting any judgment on it first, just go through it and read it so I know, so I understand what's happening in the scene. I don't think, I mean, to that point, I, I don't think there's ever been a story about an amazing audition that I've heard that was about how exactly like the way they thought it was going to go, <laughs> the director and writer saw the, the actor make, uh, make the choice in the room. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the play's already, or the this, this, screenplay or the commercial copy especially it's already been written once and it may be written again but you don't have to you know go back in the re room the room you don't have to go back in the room i'm working without my notes today in the spirit of our cold reading podcast you don't have to go back in the room and re-illustrate the the meaning of the words on the page for the people that wrote them and have been pouring over them you know i think it's your responsibility beyond even your opportunity it's your responsibility to go in there as a collaborator on the piece and bring something to it. I think especially in the case of something like commercial copy, which is the meaning is there and there will be people there that will make sure you hit the right word and do the right thing. But whatever you can bring in that's you, that's unique to the type of work that you wanna do, you'll be representing yourself in the room, not just as a person that's a responsible working artist, but also as yourself because you're doing your work in the I, way that you do it. And I will say that I love cold readings. I think they're the most fun thing to do because you're, there's, there really is no expectation in terms of you can't have memorized it. You were just handed it. Literally, you can go through it, make a choice, and then have fun with the reader, like Carrie said. I really like the experience of just going through it, seeing what they're giving me, giving them something back, and, and working on it after that, potentially with the director. I find it really, really fun to cold read. And you can't really make the right choice because right. you haven't had time to prepare the right choice. So the best thing you can do is make a choice and when you get to the part where you have to make another choice, make another one and be flexible and go in and use it as an opportunity to play and to learn more about the scene that you're working on. Mm -hmm. And that's also something from the point of view of someone who auditions people. You know, the thing that, you're, that, the, that the auditioner is really looking for is A, to see how you work you know, that that actually is an interesting thing. So that idea of, you know, really bring your process, whatever your process is, to the table. Um, but also, you know, to really see how the role is going to wear on this person in a different way than it's going to wear on other people. And that idea of, there are two different ways in which you might be asked to deal with a script. Sometimes you might just be handed it and say, give this a shot. That is less common in an audition setting than it might be in other settings. Or more likely in an audition setting you'll be handed something and said, take this out in the hall for five or ten minutes and go over it. But in either case, really that idea of bringing however you respond to the material to the table, again, instead of trying to figure out what it is they want you to bring to the table, is the thing that's going to make you a more viable candidate for the job. And the reason for that is, Half the people probably are going to be trying to aim at the thing that they think the role is going to be. So if you put yourself in that category and do an excellent job of it, what they're going to do is they're going to say, this group of people did roughly the same reading, so we're going to pick out of that group of people the one who looks most like what we imagined. But then the other choices that they're going to go from are the people who brought something to it that they never imagined. They're going to be the people who, this is what we thought, but this person brought us another option. And frankly, what they are going to end up with on their list is one and maybe two people of their top five who brought them what they thought they wanted, and then the other three or four being the people who brought them something they never realized that they wanted. And candidly, sometimes it's going to end up being the person who, especially in a commercial, this person brought exactly the thing that we thought uh, we wanted. But you're much more likely to end up on that list of five final people if you're in the half of people who brought something that they never 
expected. And to be remembered for future projects, more likely. Or even in the room mm -hmm. to be considered for a different role, which is, mm -hmm. the, I think, I would say of all these scenarios, the time that I'm most often asked to cold read in my mm -hmm. professional life is you go in for one part based on the breakdown and what your agent thought or what you thought when you submitted or what the director thought or you know whatever the case may be and when you come in the room they have a different idea and hand you the sides for another role in the same script and then you have five or so minutes to work on that and and you know that is a function of hopefully having gone in with a set of choices that were that worked for you and that you could commit to and then you have the opportunity to do that work again real quickly <laughs> and it's you know it's fun and and although I actually don't know if that's true of everybody at the table, I know that for me that's the most frequent time I encounter cold readings in an audition scenario, but do you guys feel differently? Have you had other experiences? I think I experience it the most in uh, commercial settings, commercial auditions. Yeah. Usually you are given um, a side when you arrive, you check in, there's a sheet of paper, you grab a sheet of paper if there's one you know, available, and it's, it's actually a series of words and pictures that kind of map out what the commercial is going to look like. And you have, you know, five minutes maybe, or, you know, till they call you, essentially, to look it over and really memorize it. Um, and then they call you and you have to hand it back in before you go into the room. And usually what they'll do is they'll have a, a board, like an easel set up with the words written out. but usually the casting person in the room will say, you know, you've gotten a gist of it, improvise from here. Yeah. Um, because what you don't want to be doing is then kind of going back and forth between looking at the person and looking at the, the easel with the words. So it actually is like a really interesting skill of memorizing the most you can and figuring out what the gist of the commercial is before going into the room, from what I found. I've also had the experience of going in for a theater audition that's either a general audition or something where they've asked me to prepare one set of sides and then they ask you to do further work or you've gone in with a general, um, you know, your own selection of monologues and they've decided, oh, we want to see how you can handle this on the fly. So I've been given sides in that setting to see if I can then make it to the callback where I get to prepare those sides. And really, frankly, from the from the point of view of someone who does that with people from time to time, that really is kind of a mini callback. You know, that that is something where, you know, you sort of realize, I want to see a little bit more of this rather than making them come back on a whole separate day. I want to see what they do. And I think that that really is something to have in mind is, A, if somebody's given you sides, you've had a real success, they really are interested in you. So you can afford to come in and show them what you've got because they're interested in what you have. You know, and that idea that really, again, what you want to show them in that setting, because if they're in the middle of a rehearsal day, they're not going to work with you for 20 minutes, but they just really want to see you come in, make strong choices, and almost guaranteed if you do, they will say, I'm, I'm interested in spending more time with this person and, and call you back. I have something that just occurred to me that you guys might agree with. It seems like what you're saying and why I'm hearing myself say too is, I mean, it's the same work. You're doing the same work on a shortened timeline, um, which took me in an audition setting especially, um, which directly takes me to being in the room in front of the auditor and getting a redirect, mm -hmm. which is essentially on your toes. It might be the coldest read of all. It's the same text. So in that sense, it's a cold read, but in terms of the work that you're doing on your sides, you're taking a, a you know, it's an exercise in that shift, in a quick um, track through of the scene that you have taking the tactics, you know, and running with it in the room on the fly. Uh, that's in, in its own way a cold read, it seems to me, at least in, in mm -hmm. that, in the sense of the way that you work on the text. There is an additional element to it, which we haven't really talked about, which is kind of using your intellectual context clues brain to surmise what might be the most appropriate types of choices to make, which is the other kind of cold reading skill that, that comes into play. In terms of the context, uh, Jen, you are a playwright uh, who chooses sides for people to read in the, in the setting of an audition. Uh, what is it that you are looking for 
for people to do in the case of these sides that they receive contextless in the setting of an audition? Well, many of the things you've already touched on as far as making choices and committing to it and going on for it full bear. But one of the things specifically as a playwright that I look for when giving somebody a side to cold read is that the language of the play may be different from the monologues that they chose, especially if they chose things that are heightened or something and I want to see a more natural tone uh, just to see if they because it, you only get what they've chosen in the monologue, even if, you know, you might have a little chit-chat at, at the beginning, but if I want to see, especially if it's, because I have like a lot of teenagers in my plays, so I want to hear how that language sounds coming out of their mouth. Mm -hmm. So it is a sort of a typing exercise for me as the playwright to see if that person sounds normal saying those kind of things. That actually gets into something I think is really important is that, is that very rarely when you are given sides with either no preparation or very little preparation, again, people understand you've just been given it. And they are really very rarely looking for the, you know, you working on your very edge in terms of the acting, quote unquote, of the scene. That it really is, if someone gives it to you on that short notice, it is that phrase, I think I might have used it earlier, but they want to see how the role wears on you. Mm -hmm. How does this sound coming out of your mouth? Do they imagine that doing some work with you to see what happens if then you are able to really emotionally engage in it? You know, that that very often is, is what they're testing out there. And that idea of really clearly making the argument that the character is making and coming forward and using the language to make your point rather than using the language to be emotional, for instance, is going to serve you better, I mean, in most settings, candidly, but certainly in a cold reading setting. Yeah, and I'm not expecting it to be a perfect fit. It, it's just about, you know, the first, the first step towards that. I will say that as a playwright in an audition, if you know that the playwright is in the audition and it's for a new play, to try to say the words as written is a big thing because if you may have that it's a cold reading skill that you have to work on you have to be able to say what's there and not embellish and mm -hmm. not delete you are not rewriting while you're doing your cold reading so it if that's something that's hard for you to do i know a lot of people just kind of like throw in profanity wherever they get tripped up and that's really off-putting to me because it's like you just had to take an extra second to look at it to, to know what was actually there. And I'd rather have you take that second and break the pace a little bit and say it because otherwise you're changing what it is. And I, I'm trying to see what you do with what it is and not what you would make it. I would say that that might even be the link between the committed acting work and the intellectual context work that we've been talking about is when you're sitting there, the, the one thing that you do know that you have in front of you is the script, are the words on the page. And that's the source material. I mean, you're using your own background and your own creativity, but that's the source material from which you're going to be making these choices. So it might even be a sign to the people in the room if you don't have the words on the page or aren't basing your work on the words on the page if it's a non-improvised you know, non -improvised audition kind of situation, that you haven't been working from the text, that you're working in a way that doesn't value the text in the same way that they might be looking for. Mm -hmm. And they may, tell you to, they may tell you to improvise, and they may, they may say it's okay to embellish, but you should wait for that permission, not just take it on your own. And it's, I mean, if you see, like, if you see the word again, I see that you as the playwright has written in that you have done this to me again. That's an opportunity to build an entire history and do the acting work based on that clue. It's like, oh, I see this is a thing. There's a past here. I didn't get the whole script of the play, but I have the scene. So I know there's some kind of history there and it's important enough to be in the scene. So I can build something on, on that or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But those, the words are only going to help you in that scenario. And I do think in this regard, there is a bit of a cultural difference between film, television, commercial, and theater yeah. um, that, you know, you still want to look for the permission, and, and, but it is much more accepted in a film audition 
to embellish a bit than it is. I would just say in a theater audition, you should, unless you are very specifically given permission to, you should be very sure to be doing the words as they are written. Mm -hmm. What strategies do you guys bring into attacking a cold read in the context of an audition? Context is actually a big part of it. When you have those couple of minutes in the hallway with the sides, I like to look at the scene for context and try to figure out the biggest picture things I can. And especially something like, who am I talking to? Who am I talking about? And just the happenings of the scene, just even if I only have time to flip through and scan the scene to have a sense of what what's the world I'm stepping into so that when I'm in the room, I can focus on the, the words on the page, even if I haven't had a chance to really encounter them very specifically in that mini prep, to be able to look at the page and deal with the words in the room, I'm not necessarily trying to also hunt through for all the big picture questions. And I think that's something that in a cold read, I mean, people often feel that they have the disadvantage of not necessarily knowing what they're going to say next. But I also think in a cold read, you have the great advantage of not knowing what the other person is going to say next. And that idea of being able to walk into a room and really listen and really look at your scene partner, whether it's another auditioner they've set you up with or the reader in the room, and to get off of them to listen and see what your response is and then go down to the page and give that response that you had to what they said to you through the words that are on the page. That, you know, you really can embrace the fact that it is the one and only time that you are going to encounter this language for the first time and that you can really turn that into an exciting acting activity for you and an opportunity again to really discover how the scene unrolls in the same way that the character discovers the way that the scene is going to unroll. Well, I was just off of that, I was going to say that 95% um, of the time I'll go in and having read through it maybe once and go in and have made a choice that I'm, something I'm going to be working on when I but mostly it's just talking and listening and being open to my sensory relationship to language, like my 36-year-old history to language and how it feels to say certain words and be completely open to what happens because then I'll be showing them me and that's sort of the best I can do, I think. And something that Jen mentioned earlier about having to have the technical skill of being able to say the words that are on the page, um, there is something about experience of doing this over and over again that allows you to read to the end of the sentence while your mouth is at the beginning of the sentence so that you really can embrace that language on the fly as it's coming out of your mouth. And, and having the, the you know, mini prep beforehand to understand what the world is. And then honestly, I like to have as little I like to be as cold as possible in a cold reading because I find that I surprise myself with what I'm saying, I get surprised by what the other person is saying, like Kit said, and it, it really gives me something to react off of, whether it's myself or the other person or the language or whatever it is that feels, for lack of a better word, the most natural um, kind of experience and fun, like I said earlier. That's my favorite part. And that's the best thing to see, too, is this to see people being surprised because once you are in the play and doing the show, you're never going to be surprised again. You're always going to know what's happening. So it's as a playwright like that you, you're writing in these moments of surprise and you want to see what they would actually be like when that person hears what that person actually thinks of them for the first time. And it's great to see. The worst thing to see is someone having no reaction to what they have just had said to them, like that they continue on in the same choice without adjusting to the world that's hitting them. You know, so I think having the commitment but being able to sort of like spin on the fly to what's coming at you is, is the second part of cold reading. It's being able to adjust to what's, what's around you. And I think that idea too of, of when you get when you do have the opportunity to look at the sides ahead of time. I mean, my thought is always to 
to find the thing in it that moves you the most. What is the one thing you can connect to and make the whole scene about that? And just drive through the scene and let what the other person is doing hit you and let those things collide and let that scene be what it ends up being. But I think you're a lot better off than trying to pace out where the beats are in the scene or trying to figure out. But that idea of find one thing that you can really connect to that is in the scene and drive from there. I go into an audition with cold reading involved with a lot of strategy. I think the work that we've been talking about, your the core of the work that you do remains the same. The fundamentals remain the same. But it's about selecting that one thing and committing to it. And a lot of the strategy that I go in with is about how to select, how to make the smart selections within that. Um, Definitely, if there's something about the circumstances of the scene, of the commercial copy, of the character that you immediately respond to, it is very likely that given the opportunity to rehearse it over the series of several weeks, that will also be present in your work on the character. So jump in and go for it. If you are uh, having trouble finding other ways in, the sort of earlier stuff I said uh, about context clues, the word again, if it shows up, I mean, as a silly example, or even if there are two scenes that you have that are selected for you from a given play, you can use them to cross-examine each other. And beyond that, actually, the people that are selecting the sides from the play are selecting them very carefully and for very specific reasons. And I had an experience a year ago of going in for the same play seven times over the course of about four months. And I got six callbacks over that period. And it was fascinating to see the ways in which different casting directors and directors picked different selections of the same play based on what they were looking for from the character. And I don't recommend doing this, you know, if you're not going in multiple times for the same thing, but it, and, it, and not as a first option, but really to say, okay, for they picked, they they picked this particular scene in which this is the one time we see this aspect of the character. The director or creative team on this show might be particularly interested in this aspect of the character that these other three theaters weren't. Um, so it's an opportunity to do a different kind of work and to pick a new thing off the buffet of choices available and run with that. And I would also say just generally, if it is a play that you're auditioning for that is out there in the public, at a store or something or at a library, go read it. Yeah. So that, you know, they might be cold sides and you don't know what sides they're going to pick, but at least you're familiar with the play. It's a good, you know, good to do research ahead of time if it is a play that is out there that's not a new play. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, you will have access to, to, if you have access to the play, read it, know it as well as you can the time that you have. But if you're in a scenario where it's, we're now releasing the callback sides to you, and then it's this scene, or we would like to hear of these five scenes, you'll learn the day you show up, scene number three, or whatever the case may be. When you have to think on your feet like that, you know, there are little strategies and tricks you can use to help get your footing under you a little better. There's a fun thing I like to do at required equity calls for plays. They usually tape the sides to the uh, wall and everyone will crowd around the sides that they're choosing and try to get as much time with them as they can and then they get handed the sides right before they go in. I like to read, I, I know what size I chose, I read it once and then I kind of move away and then I read all the rest of them. Because 95% of the time there's some clues about your character and the way the other people talk about them or just more context clues about the play and all those other sides that are taped to the wall. So even if it has nothing to do with your five minutes in there, it, it always informs me about something interesting. That's great. It's also a really great opportunity to ask questions in the room, um, especially with what you're talking about, about looking at the, gathering the context of the, the play from the other sides that are out, out there, figuring out what might be one piece of information that would help me be more specific this time through? And asking that question and engaging yourself with the, the creative staff at the table so that you also are opening a dialogue, being somebody they wanna give more direction to, work with more. I had uh, an experience where I had a, a TV audition and they had given me sides to prepare and when I got there, they gave me a second set of sides. And it was a police drama kind of, situation and 
I thought that I understood from the first sides that I prepared what was going on. And then when they gave me the second sides, I thought, oh dear, I don't know if this person is guilty or not. So I read every side that was sitting out for every other character in the lobby, figured out what was going on in the episode, and then went in to do the audition and they asked if I had any questions and I told them no. And it was, it would have been a terrific opportunity either to say, is this person guilty or innocent? Or to say, well, I had a question about this, but I read everything in the lobby and so this is where I think I'm going. But instead I missed the opportunity to have a dialogue with, with the people I could have been working with and to show that I was thinking and researching and making choices and, and curious about the right things. So it's a great opportunity having brand new information to go in and use that to start a conversation. Let's move on and talk a little bit about some of the other settings where one might encounter cold readings. And there is uh, one in particular that actually we encounter a great deal around here at Cry Havoc where we develop new work, which is in a new play development setting. Uh, where potentially, as we do every week at our workshop, uh, a group of actors and playwrights and directors are sitting around and you're handed a draft of a playwright's play to read it uh, so that they can hear it and it can be the topic of discussion. Um, when you are the actor in that circumstance, what are your goals for that reading? And are they different than your goals when it's an audition? And it is worth saying that in this setting, much more often than an audition setting, you are actually literally seeing the words for the first time as you're reading them. Yeah, I mean, that's the major difference in terms of the experience. So you don't have necessarily the, often the opportunity to, to get those, some of those context clues. And I think the other major difference is in intention. Um, that you're not really there to get a callback or get the part. You're there to help the playwright write their play. And so that your approach, although I think the fundamental work doesn't really want to change, your approach and maybe your strategy is less about being there to put the best performance you can forward. You want to do honest, focused, committed work to serve the playwright rather than to serve your fledgling and growing acting career. I think that um, the main difference that I see about it in my approach to it is that I am looking, I'm looking at the words on the page for the first time for a reason. There is a reason the playwright didn't send me the script in advance and it's so that I am helping that person hear the, hear the play that's actually on the page as opposed to my choices about what's on the page or or my you know having two days to prep it and 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 build what i think is the backstory or whatever i'm working from the play that is written as it is written right now so they're hearing more um, i think maybe a more certainly a more immediate version of what they have written now the for for the playwrights around the table what is it that you're looking for from uh actors when they are reading, uh, cold reading your play in that setting? Well, I'm looking for a couple of things. One is, um, as Jen said, the, what is actually on the page, and that means both only what I have written and only what I have written. Like, it is what is there, but nothing extra. Uh, that means the words or the backstory that fills all the holes of my play so I don't see them. Um, so there's that to, to do exactly the words that are there. And also to take in the stage directions that have been written because they have important information and try to use them as best as possible. And, and to commit to something and not, and I think the, the choices that actors make to, to make an interesting choice, to make a committed choice in an audition can be slightly more extreme than w would be called for in new play development because it's not about, certainly it's, it's not about having somebody remember you necessarily. It's about trying to make the best choice for what the, what the, the script is and not 
to get invited back. Although when you're doing new play development, if you are good at cold reading, you will be invited to do other cold readings. So your stakes, even though they're not about getting a job, it should be something that you try to do well because there's great demand for it and often does lead to jobs because the more people see you work, the more they might want you in something that's not a cold reading situation. And the other thing is adjustment. Like if you get to a certain point in the script and you realize, oh, that's not at all what I was doing. That's not who I thought this person was. Stop what you were doing and go the new way. Let go of what you've been doing up until now and start as if you just started with this part and move forward. And everybody else should adjust with that too, but it's, you don't need to go back, maybe a line to, oh, uh, I'll say that line again because now I know what's going on. But to not, to be willing to let go of your choice and, and go with something you think is more in line with what is actually happening. I'd say as a committed, intelligent, intuitive, cold reader, your experience of the reading of a play is as valuable to the playwright in the room as you as the experience of you know hearing your cold reading performance i think incredibly much more valuable is what was clear if there are things that are meant to be, become clear over the course of the play that might be very satisfying if there's a point in which oh i didn't realize this is what was happening mm -hmm. if you know uh, it is supposed to be apparent from page one scene one that there's something in play that isn't clear to the actor, uh, that might be a point of something you'd want to address in the play. But really, it's not about making the text work for you as the actor in a new play development setting. It's making you, the actor, work for the text. Yeah. And I, I think it, it, in, a, uh, in that setting, as a playwright, I'm primarily looking for two things, which is one, I mean, we have talked often and talk often about the idea of the play as an information delivery system. And that idea of I really want to see and be able to talk about after the play, how did the cascade of information come out? How did was that clear for you? And so that idea of for the actors to be driving from the point they're trying to make and to get the information out there. Um, so that we're able to talk about it afterwards. And I do think a dangerous thing, and I think something I think a lot of actors fall back on is kind of a wash of a something. This character is angry, this character is drunk, this character is... And it becomes very difficult to talk about what actually happens in the play when the experience of the people listening to the play was just this was an angry person, this was a drunk person, this was an old person, whatever the person's trying to lay on top of it. I would in that case much rather have an actor who is playing a character who is drunk worry less about the drunk and more about the information because that's something that I as a playwright can imagine on top of what they were doing. Uh, but we're sure that we're listening to it. But also, uh, that is not to say at all as much as it's about getting the information out there that I want a flat reading. You know, that, that one of the things that I'm really interested in is even in a cold setting, what does this language, what does this information as it comes out, what is this thing that I have written inspire in an actor? Especially if you have a really terrific actor, you know, that that idea of seeing that hearing this person say something to them moves them to really attack, moves them to back off. I'm very interested to know yeah, what, what it is that I've done inspires at a base level in an actor. It can be really very, very useful. I think the way to be that actor around the table in new play development is to know that A, you are there to help the playwright write their play, but that you always want to be listening and active and moving and adjusting and not inert in a general sense of quality and not trying to drive something home or fill holes, but responding to the impulses that are coming from you, that are coming from other people around the table, that are coming from the text that you're encountering at the same time. But it's really almost like you're a, you know, you're a shark in the water, that you have to keep moving or you're going to die. I don't know if that's actually true. That's something that people <laughs> say. 
but you're also responding to the things around you. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to deal with your environment and deal with your new setting and your new information as it comes along. But to keep active and ahead in that work is one of the reasons I think cold reading and new play development might be one of my top favorite things in life. <laughs> and I think something else that can be really helpful to keep in mind, I mean, we always talk about, and I've talked about that idea of bringing yourself to the part, but the idea that when you are sitting there with a playwright with however big a group of people that you're sitting with, and they have handed you a script, um, it's because they want to hear you read it. And that idea of giving yourself the freedom to respond as you, and it's something actually I'm very aware of uh, with our uh, group, for instance, when we do it, that this week I might give it to Jersey to read, and next week I might give it to Will to read, and the next week I might give it to Caven to read, um, you know, with the idea of I want to see how it's wearing on these different people. And I think that's something that can be really freeing, again, to come in, listen, react, and pour whatever your reaction is into the language that the playwright has given you. And I also think something that doing a cold reading in that setting gives you, again, is the opportunity actually to do acting in a really pure form. I mean, the degree to which some of the things that you, if you had three weeks of rehearsal, you'd have to strive to keep alive is that idea of reacting to something that you've heard for the first time. That idea of something that uh, we talk about is that your character doesn't know that the play that the scene goes on for another five pages, that you're trying to get what you want and end the scene with every single line. And it's that great opportunity when you're given a a fresh script to say, you don't know when your character's gonna leave the scene. You don't know if you're in it till the end of the thing. So you'd better try to close the deal on every single line that you've got. Um, You know, because that's what you strive to do in a scene when you do have time for rehearsal. And it's amazing to have a setting that demands that of you. It's thrilling to watch people who really embrace that experience do it, and it's thrilling to be the person really embracing that experience. And if you're lucky, you're working with other actors who are approaching it in exactly that same way, and you really get to, we talked about going in and playing in auditions, but then you really get to play and respond to people who are also showing up to play and, and to let the play out of its shell, almost. When you're in a scenario like that, when everything around you is moving and you have the least knowns at your disposal to work with, it's going to make you so much more able, so much better able to deal with things that change over the course of a rehearsal process. Mm-hmm. So, shall we actually talk about that a rehearsal process is actually the other place where you are likely to encounter? a uh, cold reading in a case where you're working on a new play and the playwright has written new pages overnight and brings them in and we've said we want to work on these pages today. As actors, when you're handed new pages, what are your goals? Well, when when I'm working on a play and being handed new pages, it could be anything from a new ending to a play or just revised language within a scene. Um, But I do have the benefit of having worked on the character already, having a sense of, unless it's a major change, a sense of what the events of the play are or the events of the scene. And I've been making choices over the course of rehearsal. So I have a sense of context. And even if if the plot points are changing or the information is changing, I, I have some starting point. So... I think I approach a rehearsal cold reading differently than any other because I'm definitely trying to take into consideration the context I'm bringing with me, but not make any further choices yet. So really figure out how the words feel, how the, how the new choices of the play fit in me so that then we can move forward in the course of that same rehearsal and, uh, jump into working with brand new pages. Yeah, it's an incredibly challenging situation often because as we've said earlier, you know, in some instances you're working to make, to help the play serve you, the work that you're doing. And in other instances you're working to serve the work of working on the play for the playwright. But really in a rehearsal setting, you're in many ways doing both in the sense that 
when a scene comes in, the playwright's looking to hear it out loud for the first time and see it on its feet. But you do have the benefit of all of that rehearsal work and character work and the hours you've logged and the choices that you've made to see how they fill into that new material. You may also be in a situation when, in which some fundamental aspect of your character changes. And so it's not only seeing the ways in which the work in the surrounding scenes filters into the new scene, but to see what happens to your work and to the rest of the scenes in the play when something's at the core of your character shifts to see the ways in which that ripples into the rest of the play. Uh, and I think you're only serving yourself and your own work and the playwright and the director by you know, fully committing to it as, as much as you can given the new pages to a begin to work on this new version of the play in its entirety as if this is the version we're going with, to be able to think on your feet that quickly, but also to, on the other side, for the people on the other side of the table, to test the viability in the, of the new scene within the context of what you're working on. Well, I think that's something that, is, that the playwright and director can be very helpful to, uh, to identify is which mode are you in? Because there is, sometimes a playwright brings pages and they're not sure if these are going to be the pages. They want to see if they work. And if that's what you're there doing, I think it's very helpful to go a bit more into the um, new play development mode. It's about kind of showing the delivery of information. and kind of, But if the playwright has come in and said, these are the new pages, and this is what, as far as I'm concerned, we're going with, then it's really your time, you know, in terms of to really use the opportunity Again, that treat that you have to encounter that language with the actors you're going to be doing it with for the very first time and to be able to respond with the information that you already know about your character. You know, but that, that opportunity to be surprised, that opportunity, I mean, we talk often about that idea of the, the gravitational pull that you need to escape of the thing that you are quote-unquote supposed to be doing. But that one opportunity that you have to do that text when there is no conceivable way that you can know what you are quote-unquote supposed to be doing is a real opportunity. But it is something that as a director or as a playwright in a room, it can be very helpful to let the actors know which mode are they in so they're not trying to do both at once. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there are going to be you know, varying degrees to which you will know, you know at any given time, depending on the style of the rehearsal process, the length that you're working on it. I mean, so many different factors come into it. It can be incredibly, you know, it can be incredibly exciting. It can be incredibly exciting to be in that room and to do that because you may find new things or you may find things that you had worked on appearing in the play, you know, supporting the work that you've brought in. You might find things that you had based a lot of your work on gone from the play and the exciting opportunity to find new things to base your work on, you know, it's, it's a really fun thing to do and it is essentially a gym for you as an actor. It's making you more efficient, more able to turn on a dime to uh, work on your skills and the way that you work for your auditions and your new play development work and your work on plays that are not going to change. You're only going to get better at all of that work in these scenarios. And in terms of the skills that you build through doing cold reading and the skills of cold reading, I mean, to be very candid, I'm sitting here with a number of the very best cold readers that I know. I mean, it's actually something that everyone at this table is, is incredibly skilled at. And I'm curious about how it is that you guys built your skills uh, at cold reading. For me, it was just doing it over and over again. The more you can expose yourself to the opportunity, it's just like it's, it's like going to the gym. I think it's just, you just get better and better at it. I, I think I could probably trace the beginning of figuring that out back to being in school and being in training. And when you're working with a scene partner to choose a scene, reading everything out loud. And when you're working on monologues, instead of just flipping through the play, reading everything out loud. And then every opportunity you get to be at a table with playwrights and looking at plays you've never encountered before and reading them out loud. And saying yes to every chance that that is offered to you. 
and making opportunities to do it. I mean, it is something that especially, I uh, say especially early career actors, but all actors, there's very often time between work and times between jobs. And instead of just waiting tables and hoping someone will let you act, you know, that's something that you can do is have a group of your fellow actor friends and get together once a week, twice a week, three times a week, and read a play to each other. Um, even if it's a, 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 a play that is it's certainly a new play, but a play that is published and is out there. And especially if it's a play that you don't know. But that's a great way, and in talking about killing several birds with one stone, uh, a great way for actors to get to know the canon, get to know plays that are out there, develops relationships with other actors and develop their cold reading skills is that's just something that I, I, I think should be the part of every actor's life is a place where you get together with your colleagues regularly and read things with each other. Jump in the deep end. You know, you will make yourself more adept at all of your acting skills by throwing yourself into a situation in which you are dealing with many variables at the same time. Because whether it's in a new play development setting or an audition setting or on a film set or in rehearsal when an actor had to leave a production and you need to replace him with another actor or the director has changed their mind about something or any, any, any one of those things that will invariably come up in every project you ever work on if you put yourself in a position where you are regularly dealing with things on the fly and coming up with solutions and not just experiencing change but adapting to it and dealing with it I mean uh, I guess I'm stuck with this shark thing now but if you're being that shark you know you are always active because if you're inert amongst all the stimulus and you're doing nothing you will expire <laughs> I think that's a good place to wrap up. If you're interested in learning more about the Cry Havoc Company, about our upcoming public events, coaching and classes you can do with Cry Havoc, and about how you can support the work that Cry Havoc is doing, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you like what you're hearing and would like to let people know that the podcast is out there, uh, please tell your friends and colleagues. And also you can go to iTunes and write us a review and give us stars. And if you aren't subscribed, you can subscribe there. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or questions about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at cryhabitcompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Kerry, Jenny, Jersey, Jen, and everyone at the Cry Habit Company, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.